You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today, old friend Carlos Scafani of, uh, Hello. I don't know, No Fun Festival, uh, Monotrack, yeah. Death Unit. Uh, what am I forgetting, Carlos? Um, I mean, I did a bunch of stuff under my own name. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Right. <laughs> uh, no Fun Productions, the label. Uh, and I, I don't know, I did a lot of music with random people. Oh, and well. now uh, author of graphic uh, novels. The graphic novel graphic straight. Novel. Yeah. Yep. And then I still have, I have a current music project called Rogue Squares um, with Elaine Haswell Carey that, well, I mean, um, current since before the pandemic, we, we did uh, do some um, playing recently at our house. But um, yeah, when things go back up, hopefully I'll play out again. And it is unfortunately under sad circumstances that we had asked Carlo to be here today as we lost Peter Rayberg on July 23rd of this year. Peter, who went under the moniker PETA and, of course, ran the Migo label, will be severely missed in the noise and experimental community. And Carlos had worked with Peter since the early 2000s, notably bringing him to the U.S. for the first No Fun Fest. So we felt Carlos was the perfect guest to pay tribute and listen to PETA's Get Out CD with us and honor the work of Peter Rayberg. So, Carlos, when did you first discover PETA and Migo? Yeah, so um, I'm trying to, to figure out how I started to listen to Migo stuff. And I actually, I can't recall at what moment I, I became, uh, I started to to know this stuff and really dig into it. Um, I, it changed the way I, I made music uh, at that point forever. Um, and, um, but I, I met, actually met Peter in person in 2000 and two for the first time it could have been 2001 but i think it was 2002 at sonar in spain which is like a big electronic music festival that also had a lot of experimental stuff uh, but you know they would have a big stage where they would have like bjork or someone like that and then they would have like he actually did a set that like blew my mind there um and i i went to to him after the set and talked to him so that's when i met him but i was probably aware of his stuff probably in 2000 or, or 2001. Um, I think it might have been because, uh, you know, when I, I came from Miami to New York in 2000 and in Miami, there was a lot of uh, uh, like what was called back then, like IDM, you know, yes. uh, <laughs> which I'm not a fan of, but I think because of all that stuff, there was a buzz around more computer music that my friends uh, were involved and interested in. And I think that's how I, I found out about Nigo and then, um, once I heard um, the stuff, I was just like, okay, I want everything. Um, and I, I got a lot of it. Um, and then, you know, I happened to be in, in, in Spain at Sonar playing, at, uh, I think I was playing a different festival. That was like the anti-Sonar uh, festival or, you know, the smaller version that was in a bar that was mostly noise stuff and weird stuff. And then, but I went to Sonar and I, and he was playing and he was, uh, he did like it was like a 45 minute set and it was him and tina frank who did a lot of the artwork for amigo cities the designer was doing visuals and it was you know it was just like very simple it looked kind of like the cover of uh of, or like the artwork on get out and it was just like vibrating as he was playing uh and he just he improvised he didn't do anything from the record necessarily he was just doing his own thing but it was amazing to see it at a stage where they, it was like big sound 
you know, a lot of big speakers and there was a good crowd in there. And it just kind of blew my mind to see this dude that looks like, that looked like a dad with a computer, you know, like just fucking blowing up this, this room, you know? So, um, yeah. And then I talked to him and he was like the nicest, um, at, at least to me, he was like the nicest, more, most, you know, normal dude that I've ever met. He, um, and, uh, yeah, we just kind of, I, I think I gave him some stuff of mine that I had, and then we kept in touch through email. Uh, and then when I did the festival in 2004, like I felt, you know, for me, no confess is about bringing all these different parts of experimental and noise music together that for me made sense. Uh, and, uh, you know, I could not do it without having that part of, uh, the story, you know, which is Nigo. I, I feel like we were in the U.S. kind of doing our own thing, you know, like uh, more like noisy, like more analog, like rock influence in a way. There was a lot of people doing stuff and 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 obviously like inspired too by Japanese noise. And at the same time, there was this whole movement in Europe going on that was like digital noise in a way, you know, and it was completely separate and unique and and but also inspired by some of the same things. So, yeah, that's kind of like how I, um, the beginning of me, my story with, with Peter uh, was in Spain. And then, you know, he stayed with me, actually. We were no fun. Uh, the first no fun at my house in Bushwick. Uh, and we went to Miami and played a show at churches. Oh, wow. oh, oh, oh really? my God. Yes. Hell yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. Uh, I would what, love what, to yeah. see him at Churchill's. What did he think of Churchill's? Do you remember? <laughs> oh, he thought it was amazing. You know, yeah. he loved it. There's like no one there. You know, <laughs> but uh, it was just a uh, hole, just a hole in the bathroom door and rat bastard maybe behind a door. the deck. Yeah, and I think that's all you like, Yeah, maybe like twenty or thirty people, but it wasn't like the fest, and it wasn't like yeah. you know, when I saw him at Sonar. But uh, we had fun, and I remember that you know we oh he loved we went to Rat's house and he loved he DJed he loved like Rat's record yeah. collection, oh, and yes. it was just me him and yes. Rat getting wasted and just like <laughs> Rat loved Rat loved him. And of course, we went to the beach, and he just looked like you know he had his black jeans, his leather jacket, or whatever. <laughs> and uh, you know, it was like st- I mean, it was March still, like March is hot in 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 Miami, and he didn't care, you know, just like that. That's who he was, and like, all right, cool, the beach, great. Oh yeah. man, that's so great. Love but it. but I mean, I think it is really you know important what you're saying, where you know what we were, what was going on in in America at the time was you know was was you know pretty separate from what they were doing but they really started something yeah you know so new and so so radical at the time that mm-hmm. it did take a while for things to catch up you know we were in this whole week in in addition to really listening to get out a lot we were listening mm-hmm. we were pulling out some some of our favorite migo releases especially from them but also some more current ones and yeah. you know man one I thought that really stood out is is Jim O'Rourke. I'm happy and I'm singing. Oh, oh that's such a beautiful record. Absolutely, yeah. dude. I, I immediately, yeah, I that record so amazing. I immediately that morning I, I wrote Jim an email. You know, yeah. like as soon as I yeah. found out, I, I still owe him a longer email, but I just wanted to, him to know that I'm like, hey, dude, dude, I I feel it. I know you feel it even worse than I do yeah. because of yeah. course they were closer. And I, but I'm here if you need anything. And like, I, I owe him, a, like I said, a longer email, but immediately I thought of Jim. Uh, yeah. More, yeah. Yeah. Because they were, you know, Fennoberg. Fennoberg, I mean, they, they did worked three together. Things, yeah. yeah. And Jim was releasing all those like 
um, um, LPs of like random stuff from Japan uh, on Migo, like the uh, mm-hmm. last, I don't know, 15 years or something crazy, 10 years, I don't know. Uh, so um, yeah, that uh, they were still, he told me that he saw him in, I think in Osaka last year, uh, which kind of makes sense because he did a, a tour. Uh, Peter was touring and he did come to LA at some point. I don't know. I was there for that. That, that's that when we had him on the podcast. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. and that's the last time I saw him. Like I went to see him play and hang out. And my sister was here, and my sister got to, which my sister doesn't know anything about noise or experimental music right. or anything. She likes country music and pop, so <laughs> it was. I, I took her to the show. You know, amazing. And uh, she she really liked him. She thought she's like, oh, he's really he's really mean to other people, but he's nice to you. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> we, we, well, you know, Tara actually has a pretty great memory of. I think it's really the only time you had met him in person, yes, yes. or at least spent any real time with him. But it was so when we had him on the podcast, it was a day that we did. We had Russell Haswell, Philip Best, and Peter Rayberg, and we recorded right. interviews with them all on the same day because they were all in town. Yeah, and and Peter's was day. the last. <laughs> What a day, it right? Was, it yeah. was and Peter's was the last, and this was this was when Tara was uh, the research assistant, is yes. what we referred to as. She wasn't on yes. the <laughs> podcast, but that day she was the den mother, and so she sort of when we were interviewing oh. someone, she sort of t- we she was sort of you know making sure everyone had beers and taking care of everybody. Yes. You know, so we're interviewing oh, Russell. She's hanging out with Philip, and Pe- but so we were doing Philip, and you were <laughs> hanging out with Peter. So oh my god, so. I'm hanging out with Peter out on the porch and they're doing Philip's episode. And every time the guys would start laughing because Philip is hilarious, uh, he would go, I've got to follow that. Uh, and just every time he'd be like, oh, I'm just he, he was he just kept saying how full of despair he was that he had to follow um, Philip. And then they would start laughing. Then we would start laughing. And I'd be like, what are you going to say, man? Like, I don't know. I don't know how you're going to top that. It sounds like Mike's crying in there. And so then we got to the point where it was just so absurd and yeah. they sounded so bombastic that we are out there cracking up, laughing every time they laugh. So then they pop their head on. And they're like, you guys are being too loud. We're picking you up on the mic. Can you like keep it down? <laughs> and we we're like, us keep it down. So then we're trying to like whisper. And then the whole time, all we wanted to do is laugh. So then we're like whispering to each other. Like, do you think we're uh-huh. allowed to go get a beer? Do you think, do you think like, should I put my phone on you? Like we were just like making jokes about like, do you think, do you think I uh, open that can too loud? And we were just crying outside. Like literally I had tears streaming down my face. That thing where you're like, not the, when you're told you have to stop laughing and the worst thing that could happen because then it just becomes the thing yeah he made me laugh so much i only think of him as like the most hilarious he's so hilarious yeah oh my god and and so i don't know he just and he listened to every word i say like sometimes when i'm nervous Mm -hmm. i talk and i just say something to throw away you know whatever like it doesn't mean anything and he'll be like what did you mean by that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, he always he's so he plugged listened. In. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was so and you cool. know, now that you're talking about his reaction to, um, um, to waiting and like hearing him, like he was just a music fan. You know, he was like yeah. the biggest yeah. music fan. I remember uh, when he first came to New York. I don't know if it was. He, I think he stayed with me twice, but I think because um, I also had him uh, a second time. He did a set with with Lasse Marhol, um at the Hook. That was fucking super loud. But anyways, but that I, it might have been the first time we went to see some show and Jim Thurwell was there 
you know? And he was freaking out. He was like, that's Jim Thurwell. I'm like, yeah, dude, he comes to every show. We're like, it's cool. It's Jim. Like, so he's fetus, you know? It's fucking fetus. <laughs> and uh, and uh, that's just like how he was. He was just like a fan of, of music. And, and he, I don't think he ever thought a lot of himself. Obviously, he worked very hard and put out like, you know, music that that changed and, and a label that changed music forever. But I don't think he he was never full of himself. You know, he was just very, very humble and always a music fan and always excited to see new things. And like, um, if I told him about a new project, he'd be like, but is it good? You send it to me. I want to hear it, you know, but he would, <laughs> he would just be joking about it, but he wanted to like listen to things and check things out and, and be aware of what was out. Um, and I think, you know, um, going back to what Migo was, it was definitely, there was nothing out there this, this CD that we're talking about is from 1999. So like when we think about Migo, we think like early 2000, but you know, like uh, there's the Seven Tones, which is another thing, a CD he did, and uh, which is 96. So like he was doing, like they were doing stuff before we even fucking knew there was like this yeah. crazy mm-hmm. computer music going on. Um, and and it's crazy that, that you know, when well, we'll get to the record, but like there, there's so many different uh, influences that you can hear in there that match like what was influencing the people in the in, in US in a completely different way. And I think it went really full circle when he started doing um, the re-releases um, for like the GRM stuff and 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 all that. That that's just not we're not available anymore. That connects Migo to like modern music in a way, you know. And and I think that makes a lot of sense, especially coming from a European side. But um, but again, then he never thought much of like what he was doing. He was just doing what he needed to do or what he was happy doing and, and was a fan of like everything that was going on. You know, he didn't want to be at, at home when we he was here for no fun. He didn't want to like go home or anything. He just wanted to come and see everyone play. So, you know, so That's great. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's time to start digging into Get Out and, you know, we had discussed when we did our episode on Endless Summer that this would maybe be one of the next records, uh, Migo record that we do. And, you know, it's just thought it'd be a, a fitting tribute for, for Peter to discuss. Get out. I, it's, it's an unforgettable record from looking at the mm-hmm. cover from the first mm-hmm. second you press play on this thing. Mm-hmm. And... While I say it's unforgettable, I actually think of this record as being really harsh. And there are certainly mm-hmm. harsh moments on it, but none of those may be compared to like the first 30 seconds of this yeah. record, which my stereo was up way too loud. And uh, we, had, you know, we had just listened to a seven inch, so maybe you had a, you yeah. had a little louder. Yeah, slightly, slightly different uh, gain needed for the turntable and uh, CD player. And. <laughs> This thing just, just, I mean, it's unfair how harsh it is as soon as it starts. And I think that might be why I remember it as being such a harsh record is because the first thing you're, you're done is basically assaulted with just like yeah, actual brutality. And, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about it in previous episodes. We talked about it with Peter himself of like, there was, there wasn't anything like this. These sounds, these sort of, mm-hmm. some of these computer sounds, these glitchy sounds, that digital feedback those weren't yeah. things you were hearing all the time for 20 years. Those were yeah. things that were new when this yeah. happened. So while some of this stuff is, it's very exploratory, just in the way, you know, you mentioned the, the GRM stuff. 
And in the same way of like tape music, music concrete and stuff like that, where you, oh, this is a sound you have maybe heard or something you're familiar with, but it's been recontextualized and reprocessed and worked yeah. into something new. And that's, that's what's going on here. Like he was a pioneer of a new form of electronic music. He was on yeah. the forefront of developing something that, that we now take for granted. Uh, thankfully, yeah. you know, that's mm -hmm. awesome. But, uh, yeah. this is, this is really like a, a great starting point for it. And the noise is really dynamic. It's, it doesn't mm -hmm. sit in one place. And even on some of the longer tracks where it does sort of focus in on specific sounds and modes, it still continues to morph and change. And you can tell there's uh, interactivity. It's not set something up and do some automation. He is playing and adjusting and tweaking all of these things and experimenting. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I think you hear on this is like, there are some, you know, there's some very obvious experimentation of like, He's figuring things out and maybe recording it. He's he's figured a couple mm -hmm. things out and tries it, but then maybe tries something new in the midst of it. And so, like with this track, you wind up with a, a piece in sort of with a work in sort of two pieces. You have the the blistering harsh part, and then you have this sort of stereo warping and tonal intensity thing that comes in for the second part of it. And yeah, what a way to open a CD, you know. And all these tracks are untitled, so we'll just refer to them by their track number. Uh, yeah, um, you know, when I when I I get the same feeling when I first heard the first five seconds, you're like, this could be a Mersbau record, yeah, or this could be mm -hmm. a Burian record, right? Oh, it's totally just like it had harsh that, that feedback, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And it's '99, and like, um, you know, that that's the first uh, reaction that I get, and then it just becomes something completely different with all the digital, like you know, manipulation, and it's still, especially the first track, especially harsh. Um, but it's it's different, you know. There's nothing like that, and and you're you know you, you just kind of think, is this noise? Is this tape music? Well, what is going on? And it's just you know, it's it was something that didn't exist before in a way, uh, not in this way. And like I think it's really interesting that um, you know, endless summer I think was was the thing that a lot of people first uh, you know found out about Migo just because it is a, a weird record, but it is a pop record. You know, right. like yes. exactly, it is it's a it's pop music. It's like composed in a way, um, and that was two years after this. You know, that was two thousand one. So right. like this record existed already, and I feel like I don't know what was the impact it had to people that heard it in ninety nine. I probably didn't hear until two thousand, right, or or early two thousand one, uh, and it blew my mind, right. So so like it's 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 kind of like. Um, it's kind of, it kind of blows my mind to to look at the date and be like, okay, this this was there two years before me. Like most people in the U.S. knew about Migo Records, you know. And yeah, it is it is a brutal track <laughs> for sure. Just that honing in, and I think that's the thing Gray's talking about. You mm -hmm. can hear him experiment. He you can hear him honing it in. Like mm -hmm. he, I feel like we we can hear the human element, even though this is, you know, on the surface as far from human as you can get. Yeah. yeah. Like the sounds are changing as you listen to them. They're let's say evolving and devolving simultaneously and like yeah. something's decaying while something else is peeking through and it, yeah, it truly does. It, it feels so human, but yeah. none of the sounds come from a human. And it's definitely like super processed stuff. Cause somewhere in there you hear like a little, like a piano or something. 
in the background too mm. it's, it's in there it's fu- yeah. it's destroyed it's like buried yeah. under a bunch of stuff but it's there so we'll, like we'll see more processing throughout uh throughout this record certainly <laughs> but that yeah. that's one of those things that i hear in this especially is that uh the way that the sounds evolve and mutate and change doesn't have sort of a an analog comparison it's not like changing mm-hmm. a filter or the envelope or something on a synth it's not changing an oscillator yeah. on an analog synthesizer or it's closer to a pedal chain, but even then it doesn't have the same sort of level of predictable results. I feel like because it's Mm -hmm. put through this mathematical equation that we don't actually have access to, to see, you know, there's, there's something going on that's processing it. That isn't, it doesn't make sense to me in the same way that like hands on uh, a piece of analog gear does. And I think at times that has frustrated me, but I have, <laughs> I have learned to appreciate and enjoy it. Um, yeah. Well, like, I mean, like I've said, when, when we talked about, when we talked about endless summer, you know, there was a time when it was sort of a question if it was okay, quote unquote, to have a laptop on yeah. stage. Now yeah. I, w- I don't even, it doesn't even cross my mind. No, to because even laptops are involved it. in it all even, music at this I, point. I, it's gotten so just, and it, when it doesn't, yeah, who cares? Who cares what yeah. what's on there? It doesn't bother at all. But when this was happening, it certainly was a you know there was a you know con- it was it was controversial in a way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or at least aesthetically yeah. for some people. But I know Carla, yeah. I know you were always sort of like doesn't matter. Like why? What? Who? You know? And I and I thought that was awesome. I think that was you know it's, yeah. at least it seemed to me that you, that was your attitude about it. I mean, for me, it sounded great, and I and I think I had the same. Uh, like kind of like frustration in a way where I'm like, how, how the fuck do I do this? You know, how can I make these sounds or like get closest? And I did like went super deep into like, I actually, the reason I started playing analog synths, which was later for me was because of digital music that was being made by Migo because I learned synthesis. I learned synthesis techniques um, to, so that I could make, like abstract digital music before when I play monotrack and stuff, I might play guitar, feedback pedals, like all that stuff. But by getting into digital music, I had to learn synthesis because like it's rooted in analog synthesis. And then, you know, then it goes from there into like a a lot of uh, different, different things from there, you know, like granular synthesis and like transformations that, that are not possible, like, you know, um, um, with analog things, but, but the, the root of it comes from, from just synthesis, you know? So I ended up playing uh, synthesizers because I, I needed to learn how to make digital music because it was driving me insane. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I, you know, I talked to, I used to talk to Peter about like, you know, uh, software and stuff like that a lot. And, and I know what, what he used on this, but it, it didn't matter. And it was before Max MSP. So like Max MSP was the software that everyone kind of used afterwards because it's very, Visual is it's like what John Wiss uses, what I was using when I was playing laptop stuff. It came a little bit after, it came in the 2000s. But he was using stuff that was actually code. And like you had to like switch, move the numbers around and stuff Aww. like that. He was using C sound, which is like a professional, like composing uh, in a way tool. Uh, and I'm sure like, you know, shortly after that, there were like BST effects and things like that. 
that he was manipulating as well. But like at the root of like the, the creation was actually he had to write some code to make this music. So wow. that's, 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 I mean, that's crazy. That blows my mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm such a Neanderthal. But I think that's also why, especially especially looking back, like you said, this is 99. This is 22 years ago. It sounds yeah. to me like I, I I still don't understand it in the best way. And yeah. I can just experience it as it's happening. I mean, we get to the, the second track and it's just these the tiny sounds in the machine. Yes. The subtle. And it's just the to, to me, it's like these sounds don't exist. He's yeah. Peter's mining for them in the machine. <laughs> and, and it's very, and it's very sci-fi, them. right? In a way, oh, like yeah. that, especially that yeah. second track. You know, yeah. actually, Carlos, you mentioned IDM uh, a little earlier yeah. in our talk. And uh, well, that is something some of those stuff that was branded that like Otaker and, and Pansonic and some of that stuff that I, I really do appreciate. Yeah. Uh, this track kind of reminded me of that in a way of like, mm. uh, you kind of have to me, the, one of the sounds is sort of be, due to the filtering and whatever is sort of the, uh, the club next door with the big sound system, like <laughs> bleeding through into, yeah. you know, you're playing the, the small room <laughs> at the venue and the, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a techno show going on at the big room. <laughs> and, uh, when you're talking about playing a festival or something, I thought about that too, of sort of like you're playing the, the small festival at Sonar and, and something else is going on at the bigger spot down the street you can still hear the bass pumping from the giant pa they have and yeah this is there's all these weird uh sort of digital creaks and really clicky tight delays or or skips mm-hmm. and glitches and it wasn't like something like oval that was you know using scratch cds and and looping them to give these weird glitches it's like this strange algorithmic thing where the timing is all kind of foreign to me in and the the clarity of sound in those in those little things like kindly said it's it's like these these sort of microscopic things but you can pick out each detail within them whereas with something Mm -hmm. like a delay pedal or whatever you're not going to get usually that level of of clarity yeah to it i i think with this track uh it's uh i actually wrote down all right, with this track, we, we slip into structure. And what I mean by that is that this is a great bridge between like the first track and the third track. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it would have, it like the, the whole CD works without that track in there. So I feel like that was the moment, actually I hadn't thought about this in a long time where I, th- I thought I started thinking about this record as a whole composition, you know? Like I think, yeah. I don't know, mm-hmm. I will never know, but I think he went back and added this track maybe a little later as a bridge between the the two things. And also, um, you know, when you look at the CD, right, like there's no track names. They're just, you know, there's information on, on when it was recorded, 98 and 99, and then there's numbers for the tracks. So I feel like Get Out actually, you know, is a title for the whole thing. So it feels in that way, uh, I, I don't know if, if that's the case, but it feels to me like it was a whole structure composition. And this track is the first sign that I see of that, where it's like, okay, this is like in between what's gonna come. Um, next and, and this the second track is so dystopian future uh and it's mm-hmm. so ominous and it and mm-hmm. the it's it's being so obscured and I, I agree with you carlos that it is the perfect segue into the absolutely gorgeous track number three yeah the, the hit i mean this is <laughs> when, when you think of this record if you've heard it 
And if you have this comes and, to mind and don't yeah. don't uh, if you don't own it and haven't heard it and don't know what we're talking about, go listen to track three from Get yeah. Out. Like, do yourself a favor. Yeah. And this is it's it's majestic and powerful mm-hmm. and emotional. And that is in part due to uh, a little sampling, which I'm not sure is necessarily credited on it, but. Certainly, there's about 23 seconds of Ennio Morricone's yeah. Come Madalena in here that mm-hmm. forms the bass and is repeated throughout the 11 minutes and 20 seconds of this song. But yeah. it it bears the emotional resemblance to the original track, but what PETA has done with it is something completely new and exciting and energizing, and it goes from lightly distorted to this sort of like a lynchian twist where everything just ramps up and you know the sun is 10 times brighter and and uh every sort of detail can be seen every flaw can be seen but in this in this beautiful way uh this i mean this is like just an absolute standout track and to show what can be done with the power of sampling but still make it something completely completely your own well this was absolutely the first track when Gray texted us the unfortunate news. It was this was the track we put on immediately, and it's it's as powerful today as the first time we heard it back in yeah. you know in the early two thousands. It was it was definitely a little later than than two thousand or two thousand one, and it certainly was after this album came out. Like I said, I I may be mistaken, but I want to say it was Dillaway who played it for us, and so that would have been more in the you know, 2003-ish maybe. Mm-hmm. I, again, I, I might yeah. be wrong about that. He definitely played us a lot. He he was, we, again, like I said, you and him were sort of the people that I learned about Migo from it. You know, he played us Sun Pandemonium, which is uh, the, the Hecker album, Hecker, yeah. which is just, oh, what a phenomenal record. And so, you know, and, and, and like I said, we had, we had discussed doing this, so we had been listening to this since doing the Endless Summer episode, but obviously it was hearing it in a new context, just, I mean, yeah. it was so, so powerful and it's more powerful today than it ever was. And I think great, like you're saying, I think the, it shows what using, you know, taking other music and putting it into a new context could do. And I, something that I mm-hmm. love and I think is, is, is such a great thing. and something that experimental and noise music I think does the best. And as well as it shows the power of simplicity because mm-hmm. it is, this is 11 minutes. It is very simple, but very complex. It's simplicity. You know, the tiny details then are what the overall swath of it is simple. Yeah. But then it's those tiny details that bring out the complexity. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's weird. It's, it's got this, you know, at times like nasal and, and shuddering kind of vibe to it, but it, it's, it's really, it's really dense. It's, I would say it's hyper dense compared to like compared to the original piece and you're losing a lot of details from the original, of course, where Morricone would have, you know, an orchestra play this. Uh, but to me, it's almost sort of stripped down uh, like a, like a brutalist, like brutalist architecture or something where it's like this sort of immovable block of what this song is, but there are goings on inside of it. And you know, one of the one of the little details or one of the things I noticed when focusing on it this time is that the the loop is sort of like a I don't know, two 
two measure loop from the song, but it doesn't finish resolving. It's not an even cut. Mm -hmm. So it sort of starts over right as you're expecting some resolution to come. And it, it pushes this edge of tension in the piece along with whatever the hell is going on with it, where it's like, it is just being destroyed and, mm -hmm. and digitally rendered like almost lower bit and louder as it goes on and just keeps getting sort of grittier and grittier and grittier as it goes, but in, in an interesting way. And I, I, I could listen to it forever. Like it doesn't, I think it's part of that uh, loop, not properly resolving that keeps it moving because you just keep wanting more. You keep wanting it to give you what you're looking for. And so every time it comes around again, you're waiting and, and maybe even hoping that it, that it does what you're waiting for. Yeah, I definitely went to like to this whole record, but I, I was going after this track, you know, that morning and I, I, I wrote the most about this track because, you know, I think it's it deserves it. But uh, yeah, it, this is the jam. This is a weird noise anthem uh, other than than tape music. This is the first time that I heard something being manipulated in the way you mentioned. It was also the mm -hmm. first time I heard something that was so soft and so heavy at the same time. Um, you know, like before many people did it, uh, he, he did that. And then I also, <laughs> I ripped this one so much when I first started making uh, computer <laughs> music. Um, I, I just wanted to, like, I would take a little melody and then like abuse the shit out of it, layer it, distort it, like granulate it, put, you know, millions of things on it. And like, there's a track like this in my, not as good as this, but there's a track like this in my, um, you know, the view CD that I, that I put out that's all computer music. Unimportant that is like, it's totally, a, um, not a rip of this, but I would say, um, you know, just, just kind of inspired by, you know, it's inspired by it for yeah. sure. It's inspired by it. And I used to do this when I used to, uh, you know, do, um, laptop sets, I would, I would do something like this in every, every single time, because to me, it was just like blew my mind. And it, it's just something that you remember, and that it is, I don't know, it's just, it, it moves, right? It moves and it moves you. Um, and I actually asked him specifically about this track when I first met him. And I never forget that he, he, his reply was so like, whatever. He, he just, he's like, everyone asks about that track. I don't know why. I don't know. It's a track. <laughs> that's, you know? That's, that's what right. he that's said. He was, I don't yeah. know why. Absolutely. It's a track. And and that, just, that's so, like, what a perfect uh, answer from him right yep. just like yeah yeah yeah, 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 well, yeah whatever ah, you know sure. Yeah. yeah sure so um yeah and then i also uh it, structurally yes like there's these builds and like there's many moments where like especially the first drop because at first it's, it's very melodic then and then you get like yeah. bom, bom, bom. you get that hit and then it just goes from there and I also think on the non-resolution part, it has no ending. It, it just kind of stops, yes. you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it yeah. just stops. It, it, there's no the fade away. There's nothing. The way that the loop ends, it just stops. Yeah. And I like that playing with expectations, too. I, I think that that's something really powerful that, that this CD does is play with yeah. your expectations of, you know, what music and noise can be. Yeah. And, yeah, we're we're all the better for it. There's also yeah. near the end, a little part where it feels like it's almost like the computer processing cannot handle what's going on. <laughs> yes. And like, you get like a little 
like a glitch in there it's the whole so thing. weird yes. yeah yeah yeah. Yes. yeah um, actually there's a number of times on this record where i was wondering yeah. if the glitching was something sort of set up or literally because he was trying to push the boundaries of what his computer could handle yeah and near the end it made me think of like you know when you're driving on a road and there's tons of traffic and you're like i gotta get past all these people and then you finally do and the road opens up and you can just like drive by yourself. Like to me, this has that feeling. It's like shifting gears and getting past it and then just like going all out on an open road by yourself. Mm-hmm. Like it's so it, it just has this personal. This, yeah, it has like a human mm-hmm. feeling and this like it, it kind of encapsulates in an abstract way what it's like to be in your own head. And Gray, like you were saying, it's it's kind of devolving from this original form. It's like, yeah, that's what our memories are like, you know? Like, we don't mm. remember everything exactly as they happened. We remembered them through our messed up brains filters. And I feel like this, mm-hmm. this takes that song and does that. And that's why we can relate to it. It's a paradox. It's like real and nostalgia and modern, but something that's really classic. It's sad, it's happy, it's light, it's heavy. It's all of those things simultaneously. And I think that's what gets to us so much because that's what existence is more like than something that's just perfectly polished all the time. Cause you have all of those things just, you know, assaulting you daily, just like right now, like, you know, even thinking about PETA and loving PETA, but at the same time we're like, there's a sadness to it, Absolutely. you know? And like, that's just kind of how we're taking all of these things as people. It's it, a lot of things going on at one time. No, yeah, it, it is true. I would, so he I would, it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, before we move on, I, I also wanted to give a shout out to Mike Bernstein because he was I... the only one that like when I started listening to his stuff, he is the only one that knew what I was talking about for some reason. <laughs> uh, well, because he was actually very involved with technology and he was doing trying to do. Um, we both went to the same uh, art program, actually, for for MFA. And I went in it because of him. Um, and I, and he knew what I was, he was the only one that I, that I knew what I, at that time in 2000, he, he knew this stuff and was, uh, already logged into it. Um, and we actively talked about it. So just a, a shout out to him. Um, there's probably some stuff that I, that I listened to because he probably recommended it at, at the time. So, yeah. I mean, right. same for us. We stayed with the Bernsteins when we would go to No Fun every year. So <laughs> we right. got yep. to be exposed to all the same things. And it was it was always phenomenal. And, and you know, and I think even in interviews, he had said, you know, co- combining the melody and the noise was something he saw found to be very important. Obviously, I think obviously Finez is going to take that to another level yeah. two years later with Endless Summer, which, yeah. you know, I think is you know, when you really start looking back at this, these, these really radical records that yeah. s- that are still, you know, showing new things decades later. And I think that's I mean, that's that's the power of what these guys were doing. And yeah, and it's similar vein with uh, what Massimo was doing, which is also yeah. Migo. And I, he was the other person that I brought to No Fun 2004. He also played a lot with with melody and kind of like distortion and layering things. And um, he, he did some weird things. Like he would take a Depeche Mode song and get the MIDI track and then uh, play that through like a bunch of distortion. And like, that's one of his tracks, but like that did disappear, but he also was part of that group early on. And I got to, I toured with him in Italy and I actually me, him and Peter did a set of tonic one time. It was terrible, I think, but uh, but just the, <laughs> the, the chance that I that I got to like play with both of them, and I played with Peter one other time actually 
in um, in Vienna. Uh, I went and uh, and and uh, did a solo set, and then I played with him. I actually stayed at his place and and met his daughter and, and his wife back then. But yeah, I mean, it, that's I think that's just this track is again it's just very personal. This whole record feels very like Peter doing his thing and. And I think that's why those memories are purring in for me right now. And I'm remembering yeah. like, you know, all this, this moments that, that I, that I, I live with, with that man that were like, you know, inspiring for me. I also, you know, uh, I don't think I would have done the label had it not been from like me talking to him about how to run a label and like learning and seeing uh, that they actually had an, a real office when I was in Vienna. I was like, you have a real office for your label? And, um, you know, at that, at that time, uh, like him and his partner, eventually like Migo ended for a few years, right? Like a couple of years after that, but, but the, it was a real business, you know, it was serious business. And it's like, here's this fucked up records. There's like amazingly weird, like music. And they have a fucking office with like a secretary and everything. And they are running a real business, you know, and, and that was kind of inspiring for me in the way that I started to think about like how to put the festival and how to do a label and how to treat like what we were doing in the U S more, more professionally because of him. Well, I was actually talking to a, a, a friend, a friend of all of ours uh, about, about Peter. And he was saying that, yeah, Peter was the, the first guy to explain to him that you need to accumulate miles for touring and, you know, <laughs> For flying, oh, yeah. like, no, no one ever, no, it, those simple things that we yeah. all sort of, he's like, I didn't, when we were all young and dumb, like, and just didn't know any better, these guys were already operating on a level mm-hmm. of like, no, this is the way to do these things to do, <laughs> yeah. and it will, it will only benefit and continue. So, I use your sky miles, man. Come 100%, on. Which is just like, you know, obviously we were, you know, we just, we, we were hopping in these rotten vans, you know, driving around, you know, you know, Hoping that the uh, brake line wasn't gonna, you know, gonna the wheels give. fall off yeah, like it yeah, actually yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know. he, was, he was ten years older than me, so he was fifty three when when he just passed. And uh, I think that's that's why he was still like at a nature. It's like, oh, he cannot be my dad, you know. But he he's wiser than me because he has ten years than me. So like, I always saw him as a friend, but also like like I said, someone that I could get advice from just because he had been at it. A little longer and especially for for europe you know like going into europe and understanding how it worked to go over there he he definitely had a lot more knowledge than than i did when i obviously when when i first started going over there and touring i learned a lot from him and asked him a lot of questions and and he didn't you know like you said before he he always listened you know um he always listened and like answer and he didn't you know i i, I never felt like i was uh, like I was annoying him or wasting his time. I mean, if, if I did, he would let me know very clearly that I was being annoying because he never <laughs> felt anything back. You know, he just like said it right away. Um, but uh, yeah, I was also blown away when I first found out that he was English, you know, uh, because, right, right, right. You know, he he, <laughs> he came from from Vienna, all amigo stuff. And, you, and you're like, OK, I mean, that's in a way the capital of like music in, in some ways. But like. You know, uh, he, uh, yeah, he was an Englishman. So what the fuck? So <laughs> that also made it easier to communicate yeah. with him. And right, like, right. Stuff, you know? Yeah. So good. The, 
the machine is open on track four and mm-hmm. we're entering a new place mm-hmm. uh, that we had sort of a, a new area in the album. Mm-hmm. And I mean, from the questions that I sort of had, again, I'm, I'm, I'm still such a Neanderthal. I, with a lot of this stuff, I mean, what is the source of the sound? I mean, it, you were saying he writing code, but is it, is it in the computer or is he, is, I mean, again, as far as you yeah. know, it, yeah. does it begin outside or does it all exist inside? Uh, so, like, I think on the previous track, we already established that he used a, a sample, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of this stuff, it is synthesized, you know? Like, he is uh, writing code that is making, like, you know, whether it's oscillators or things that are reading files, which is something that uh, another technique that I think both me, like, I, I started using too, but just... You know, when you had a when you had more software come out that allow you to do more things, it just opened up your ability to do things. So the source could be anything. It could have been that that he was just like programming like some kind of like, you know, imaginary synthesizer somewhere, or he could just be grabbing a source of noise and like manipulating that. There's always it's always in this track that he's like taking something and like granulating it, you know, making it very tiny pieces. And there's a lot of panning going on with some of those as well. So, like, I, I could imagine how how that goes. But, uh, but um, you know, and, and at this time, it's something that, like, Greg, you call out. It's like, he's experimenting with this stuff. It's very yes. obvious on this track. This is like trying new things that had not been necessarily done before or had been done in a, in a more, you know, uh, simple way. And, and he's trying some, he's trying to push, you know, the boundaries of what was possible with with digital sound. And this is one of those tracks where I'm like, okay, like you said, it's another part of the album. There's some insane panning going on here. There's some sci-fi shit going on. <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not like a brutal in your face thing right. as much anymore. Right. But there's definite like structure to it. Um, um, and there are pieces where it, where it is uh, kind of harsh, but, but it's also, you know, very carefully put together. I think we have the same feelings on this track because I'm looking at my notes and the first thing I wrote was explosive Tron stereo granulating stuttering and yeah. uh, completely alien machine gun, but uh, like laser accurate. And that's that's what this sounds like to me is like it is this like yeah. rapid fire of, of weirdness, and but it's yeah. every everything's hitting its mark. And it is you say sci fi. And yeah, this is like otherworldly yeah. music. This doesn't make sense in a way that i want it to and like conley said the machine is open like yeah it's tron you're now stuck inside the machine and you have to deal with this entirely new crazy world you know like there's there's whatever was familiar before is completely mutated into something new and you know also one of the things that i think is interesting about this album is the the track durations you know we start with a three minute track then a two minute track then an 11 minute piece then uh, this is a minute and 40. We go into a four and a half minute track. Like things run their course. There's no like, I got to make five minute songs. I got to make 10 minute mm-hmm. things. I got to make a bunch of two minute things. It's just what he felt. And yeah, I think that that's shown through so much of this, that it was, it was ex- just experimenting and trying things out and figuring things out. And, you know, as we get into some of the later tracks i you're talking about uh like reading files well i'd like to talk more about that then uh so remind yeah. me <laughs> and i think also that um you know uh, my feeling when i listen to this again i think it's very composed it's very thought out um but there was obviously like a lot more output you know 
to create this and and because there's a lot of experimentation and if you look at like the i think the lp had bonus tracks but definitely like the digital version has like three or four more tracks mm -hmm. that they're in like other places you know there's one that becomes track four and then there's a couple at the end so like i feel i'm not sure like but i feel like there was a lot more material that maybe he went back on later and i was like okay i'll put that one in again um but there was definitely some um you know some some mind uh power put into like what should be the order what are the tracks that are going here how they're edited and all that yeah we we actually made sure to to pick it up on Bandcamp. of course have the link just you know, hoping that it's going to go to support whatever needs mm -hmm. to be supported in this time. So obviously mm -hmm. we'll have the link for that so everyone pick it up. But we, we picked it up on the Bandcamp for that reason. And yeah, that's that version has a, a, a song after three and then songs at the end. And the, the track after three, I believe it's from a split with Kevin Drum, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. from the notes. The, the track after three is this beautiful ambient track. And it does mm -hmm. sort of it is an, it is it put it. it, it puts a different frame around the album but it's a really in a really cool way and i really do like the the new version as well obviously for this we, we wanted to listen to it how we all had heard yeah. it in, the, in originally and i think there is something to be said for this original version obviously but those extra tracks are incredible and i and i'm you're you're probably right carlos i mean i'm sure there was you know more sessions and then he just sort of went back and like oh i did i maybe he had intended maybe it was a one an intention you know that oh yeah. i did want to actually put this on the album but mm -hmm. but you know this is yeah. uh you know this is a 40 minute album which is you know it's it's you know lp length yeah. obviously those tracks yeah. give it an extra length so maybe he was even originally trying to think keep it short for for that style but either way yeah just reading from the from the very limited information that's on the cd It says, made by Peter on the Twisted Hard Disk in Vienna, Paris, Oxford, Amsterdam, Tokyo, and New York, 698 to 699. So, um, and then file management at Random Studio Vienna, 799. So it seems like this is a collection of things that he did in a whole year yeah. in different mm -hmm. places and then found a way to kind of like get them all um, together in, in this record and, and, and make a statement with it. But I think that's also the power of what these guys are doing, you know, forward thinking by using computers and using laptops. Like I have never had a setup that I could do just, you know, maybe he was in a hotel after a show and just, opened, just up, opened up the computer and just made a track because he could. Yeah. I've never had that ability to, in, you know, to, to bring a setup into a hotel room and, or, or it would take a long time to sort of, you know, get everything together. So I think that's, The, the simplicity and of of what they were doing, I think, is so cool, and and really and really forward thinking. And hey, um, minimal setup is something to be appreciated. I know. Uh, I think uh, I know. I've toured with Carlos, and I, I've toured with uh, Connolly. So, uh, <laughs> I t I just take too much damn gear. Uh, you have I so much gear. <laughs> remember my first uh, time in Europe, which was with Carlos. Dragging yeah. a giant flight case in a trunk around these cobblestone streets, just, uh, just miserable. Oh, dude, we were all so stupid on some of our early tours. Like, I mean, yeah, that's out. the first thing I learned so how to take less. Because I did it so for my first stuff. tour in Japan with Monotrack. I we brought so much shit and we were sweating and suffering. And then, yeah, yeah, Peter had a fucking laptop, so like that, that was. <laughs> And I, I learned from that, too. Even when I started doing analog stuff uh, live and I left the computer behind a little bit, 
I found the most like compact, like two little analog synths that I could bring so that I could fit everything in a backpack and on my hand and that's it, no more. So yeah, definitely that, that was a, a big important thing. And, and I think, you know, noise music was so, um, it's so, especially at the time, like maximalistic when you want to have like 200 pedals, you know, like if you look at like, you know, Mersbau or, or whoever was mm-hmm. doing stuff, then it's like, yeah, let's get a fucking big piece of metal sheet and 50 pedals and like a fucking synth and like, you know, and then these dudes are like, oh, I'm just going to open my laptop and like, you know, make stuff that sounds better than that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing better than can I help you load in and then you end up carrying like a giant sheet of metal. Like, yeah. oh, God. Either, or, 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 yeah, yeah, or can I help you load sharp. in and you just grab a laptop bag. I love the quiet open of five. Mm-hmm. Starts yeah. in the void and creeps out of it. Oh, I sort love of- this track insect noises and and weird sort of digital pops kind of interrupting the the vibe of it yeah Uh, this one this one really starts off cool i wrote underwater on it see i was that's where i was (laughs) i was underwater i was in an an electrical pool bubbling and circling circling electrons swimming together just to create this atmosphere i was absolutely in the electronic water in this track in the i just the best way. Well, I I wrote synthetic rain, so See, that's kind of we like were, the, we were getting wet. The the beat is an undercurrent, and it's just so subtle, and it gives you those like mm-hmm. waves, and it's even to the point where a lot of the sounds in these final tracks, I I kept trying to figure it out if I, if I was hallucinating them. I know hallucinating mm-hmm. is not auditory, but let's pretend it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But but I was like, am I imagining this? Is that actually a beat? Is that a is that another? line that's happening or just my ears thinking that yeah. uh, and, and this definitely um played played a little bit with the ears i totally agreed well carlos is underwater Connolly's in the water tara's got some waves i guess it doesn't even matter that i wrote watery stereo washes with static top eight <laughs> we're all, we all in the same area water. man we're all, we're all in the fucking yep. open ocean absolutely <laughs> in it but you mentioned <laughs> Some insect swarming. Be- the virtual ocean. But by six, I, this is where the insects came in in mm-hmm. this room. The just electronic insect swarm, this building, rebuilding, and tearing down again. The yeah. way it goes from the water to the insects on track six to me is just like, wow, what, a, what is a great pairing. Where I This is where I wanted to talk with Carlos or ask th- yeah. this I wrote uh, broken, <laughs> scattered, corrupted files and EQ filtering. Yeah, so I, I wrote breaking stuff. I'm not sure what, what this is, but it's mangled to pieces. That's what <laughs> it really is. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I wrote like, oh, yeah, this, is, this, this track is one that I think that like when you explore like all the computer music that's been made since then, it would feel a little bit outdated right now. But for 1999, this is like because it's obvious that he's experimenting and trying yes. like all these things. Yeah. And like he would not have done that track later on. But for 1999, it's insane. Like, you know, there, there's stuff going on in there that like I didn't I didn't know. I didn't pick on it. Um, I don't know if, it, if it's opening like random files and reading them because um, on his later albums, I could tell you exactly when he's doing that. 
but I it didn't I didn't pick that up on this because uh, the kind of like digital noise and jumps that you get are very obvious when you open a file and read it, even if you do it with oscillators. So like um, um, you know, in in uh, some of his later records, you, I hear more of that. Um, but uh, but I don't know what this track is. It's just fucking crazy. <laughs> I know even you know like in the Napster days, you'd partially download yourself an MP3 and it would have that watery, glitchy kind of yep. mm-hmm. alias sound to it. But then I also remember taking MP3s and like actually opening them in some sort of text editor or yeah. text editor and and dumping in data to see what would happen and see how it would get corrupted. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that it just made me think of that kind of thing of like. Pr- uh, purposefully damaging files is what this oh, sounds yeah. like. And not in the way of like bad sector where it actually sounds like, you know, a hard drive going bad or something, but like just a, a file that is garbled and corrupted and got crossed with another one. And now not, it doesn't make sense as either thing that it was supposed to be. It's a whole new entity. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, like um, Yasunao Tone or something like that, where he's like purposely making uh, CD skip, you know, to get like those like broken glitch files. It's almost like it's doing that, but to a whole like stream of sound at he's, once, you know. He's actually some uh, someone that was recommended we do an episode about uh, after yeah. we did the Fennis episode. So maybe maybe we'll touch on that one of these days. But yeah. uh, the you know the thing about this uh, is that I hear too is in the you know when we think of a filter, we tend to think of like a resonant filter on a synth, right? So you yeah. can accentuate the frequencies. In this, it's it's this sort of a like parametric EQ filtering, right? Where he's swiping down the band. So it doesn't really resonate, but you get these muted sounds and you, these really brash tones from sort of cutting and boosting your frequencies, but there's no uh, additional resonance to it. And I, I hear that on here too, which I think is kind of an interesting and, and probably primitive computer editing choice to, to go with. Yeah. And I would also say that, you know, we talked about this before, but like being, the accuracy of like the sounds that we are hearing on this record uh, were definitely very different from what was being done in noise music or what was in being done in the US. And I think that was the, the let's say the advantage of having a computer is that you could use that mathematical force to like do random things that were still ordered in a certain way and that could be repeated and could be like manipulated in a way that it sounds very precise, which is very hard to do if you're playing like a bunch of pedals and like feedback and stuff like that, you know? So like, I think that that was a a characteristic that was very, it's throughout this record, but that was also very uh, true of, of music that was uh, experimental music of that time that was being made on, on computers. But Carlos, pedal chains are super reliable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it never, they it never, always work. it always works. It never, like it never a, messes a, up when you science. hit the one and all of a sudden everything never. just goes quiet. That's never happened. All the connections well, and I batteries mean, are perfect. Fair, computers used to crash back then. So like I yeah. had yeah, my experience yeah, yeah. with like, I had, I was playing this show in, in, uh, it was in Switzerland actually. And, uh, and yeah, my computer fucking just froze. You know, I was like, uh, got stuck in that no. one sound. So I, what I did is I restarted <laughs> it. And then at the same time I was playing with the plug while it was restarting, just putting in and out so that right. it would make some kind of like pretending oh, like, that I was doing like yeah, the next purpose. Track. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You did track yeah, seven. Kind of like the next track. Um, so yeah. So like, yeah, I mean, computer had its own problems with like every once in a while it would crash, you know? Um, so 
Connolly, you asked if if all the sounds are generated from within the computer, you know, on this or where they come from. And this one to me is uh, like a built-in microphone on the laptop mm. or computer. Like this is just the crudest, cheapest 1999 computer <laughs> microphone sounding like crap and someone just like cracked. You're talking about a seven? Track seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah yes. <laughs> that is that is all I yeah. hear is just blown out garbage <laughs> microphone. Oh, it's so it's so great. Yeah. It you, man, you got it. You nailed it. Yeah, I called yeah. it a laptop hissy fit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. It's, and it's only clicks and pops the whole thing. And like it's uh, I think it's the only one like that on the CD. Yeah, it is. It mm-hmm. stands out. It's also the shortest track in a minute and six seconds, mm-hmm. but it's it's it has its place. And I think it's interesting because it's not as uh, processed or algorithmic as any of the other mm-hmm. stuff. It is just this like it's really low tech and crude considering how much we've seen, you know, uh, all the different techniques involving the computer on this. So I think it's another another nice facet of what he yeah. did. Who knows? It raises might... tension. <laughs> Yeah, it does it. And who knows? He might have been like drunk at one of these hotels one night and they just put the microphone on and be like, oh, fuck, that's cool. I just recorded. Yeah, right. You know? I, yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah. It, it really does. It, again, whereas you this really has the human feel. And I, w- I was just feeling fingers, Yeah, you know, just like yeah. fingers going over. You just you get the humanness in this in this track. The. The next track now, eight. There is some weird sequence that's hidden in the computer that he is. <laughs> yep. I don't. He found yep. it. Yeah. He was searching for it, and yeah. he found the sequence hidden inside the computer, and then yeah. he just started messing with it. <laughs> yeah, there's rhythm to it, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a rhythmic mm-hmm. track. I, I I wrote this as a jam, as a joke, but it, yeah, it's like beat <laughs> up and mangled, but it's rhythmic, you know, and it, it has mm-hmm. structure and it has it has pieces. So like that was uh, it's a very fun little little track for sure. It made me think of when you take apart your first keyboard and you put your finger on it really hard and then play the demo. SK one, you take apart the SK one, and it's just sort of like yeah, and it's just and dying. Mess with dying. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It tries hard, but it can't go. Yeah, I think it shows influence maybe from some of the sort of uh, Cosmetia music, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of this other stuff definitely leans a little bit more towards the uh, Academia, you know, yeah. BBC Radiophonic Workshop sort of thing in terms of the cut up and and looping and that such but the sequencing just lends that that little bit of a kind of motoric vibe to it but then it's it's really thin and abrasive it's not like a fun lush sequence it's it's pitaized yeah for sure um yeah yeah i mean it's it's a it's a great track it's it's unique like everything on this record and i think again this record i mean for me when i heard it it felt like a statement of like yeah fuck you this is what i'm doing and and uh it's unique and and i don't care if you like it or not because if he cared he would have put that third track first you know and like <laughs> yes. and then not yes. have that fucking wall of feedback <laughs> to tell you right, it's like off. you gotta get through this i'm gonna give you yeah. something you have to get past you, it you need to get through this so to oh, me this whole album is a statement you know yeah i mean and it's it right ends there with in the, the title get out <laughs> yeah yeah he's letting you know like, you don't like it get out yeah and, <laughs> man but i i get dragged into the closer on this track nine yeah. this mm-hmm. just harmonic tone mm-hmm. and this mm-hmm. 
this kind of clicky rhythm, likening to some of the IDM and clicks and cuts, maybe Thomas Brinkman, you mm-hmm. know, sort of stuff like that era of stuff was also popular. And this has a little bit of that vibe, but this thing is just, just hypnotic. I mean, this is, this mm-hmm. is a, almost nine minutes and it pulls me in and I, much like the third track, I don't want it to end. I, I don't want to get out. Mm-hmm. I just want to sit in this world and, and listen to this over and over. Absolutely. I think this, what a way to end and just that you're just in the depths of the machine and it's just rattling and just kind of rushing towards a specter of something inside the machine. I just, I love this, this track. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I wrote, yeah, this, this is, I think the most underrated track on this CD probably because everyone goes to track three. Right. Right. But, but this is just like a beautiful, like it has like four layers of stuff going on. Uh, and it has bass. It has bass. Yeah. It's just very, very like kind of broken, very low frequency bass, but it has bass. It has rhythm. It sort of has like a melody that creeps in. So it's like this is music. Like this track is music at at, at mm-hmm. this moment, you know. Uh, and it feels like it's super. Like he's he's loaded down, or I don't know what the fuck he he did there. Uh, and it's just like a beautiful abstracted track. It's like ambient. And then at the end, it just fucking blows in your face too. It has a like <laughs> thing moment to remind you that you know he might be gentle, but not all the way. And then uh, <laughs> he also wrote, uh, you know, this this leaves music more abstract and free than before. Like just like you know, after I'm done listening to this track and the whole record, I think again, I think for me, Peter was someone that changed my world and understanding of like what was possible with sound and music. And I think he did that with everyone else and like being at the front of like, Hey, this is my label. This is my fucking record. Right. Like that was something that not a lot of people necessarily, you know, did, um, and, and not at that level that he did and having this like beautiful, like piece of art. That's this record is just kind of like, and this track it, it's just, uh, completely changed things for me. And I'm sure it did for a lot of other people as well. And then he continued on to make amazing music, but also to like put so much amazing music out all up till like his last days, he was putting like shit that you, I didn't know where it came from, you know, where I looked at the Mego cat at the Mego catalog. I'm like, what the fuck is all this stuff? Where did it come from? And then all of a sudden there's a Merswell record, you know, and it's right, like, yeah. Right. And you'd be like, okay, I know who Merswell is, but who are all these other people, you know? And like, it's all amazing. Uh, and, uh, you know, later uh, on, again, on his uh, label career by like reissuing stuff that could not be found anymore. That's amazing. And and I think, again, he was a, a music, a, a lover of music and, and like, you know, a fan. And yeah, and, and I'm, I'm talking a lot over this track, but like that's uh, that's what I all the feelings I got when I was listening to this, knowing that it was the last track on this album and then thinking about what he had done with it. And, and that's just kind of like what came to my mind. I mean, his, his passing is a huge loss for the experimental community. You know, he loved and promoted so many different types of sounds and, and made such a huge impact. And I think that, that his, his footprint on experimental music will be felt for decades. Like the, I have no question. He, the, all the work he put in and all the, type of things he tried to expose people to. So um, condolences to all those who knew him and uh, were touched by his sounds and his work. Absolutely. And like we said, of course, 
there is, you know, Migo has a band camp. We're going to have a link up to pick this up. You know, we got to support for whatever comes next for Migo or what, whatever expenses are needed now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just like Carlos said, there's so much stuff in there. Grab a random one, uh, grab some great old ones. One, one that I highly recommend. And I know Tara feels the same is uh, voices from the lake live uh. at maxi. I think it's from <laughs> a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. It is, this incredible electronic record that mm-hmm. ends with we're talking get out three we're talking get out nine the the final track on that album is truly one of the most perfect pieces of music that will just take you your the it'll just it grabs you by the heart you it's yeah. absolutely amazing and highly recommend that but you know like Carlos said pick a random one pick some classics. Uh, like, like, Tara and I said we've been listening to that Jim O'Rourke record a mm-hmm. lot and you know you heard mm-hmm. Carlos reaction for that that is just whoa, oh, what a phenomenal record but you know continue to support and continue to listen hear what you can hear from from Peter's albums because while it's it's doing this podcast when we think of a lot of the people who have passed from Koji you know from Obe and and now mm-hmm. you know sadly Peter Rayberg, the the beautiful thing is that they've left us with all this art and all this music that we can forever have mm-hmm. them with us. And so this is a, as you heard us all talk about this for over an hour, you know how we feel about this record. This is a record you can have Peter with you and listen to Get Out. So Carlos, thank you so much for being yeah, a part of this. You. I mean, yes. you know, we, we, we definitely, we, we got to have you back uh, over you know, ho- hopefully on on uh, more cheerful circumstances. But again, we got to we 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 were. It was great to celebrate uh, Peter Rayberg's life with you, and we we do have laughs because he was he was a funny guy. He he he'd be the first to crack a joke, you know. So uh, this mm-hmm. has just been a, a really great tribute to Peter, to, and to be able to do it with you was was really great. So thanks for taking the time to do this with us, Carlos. Yeah. Uh, no, no, uh, honored to be here to talk about Peter, you know, who was uh, an inspiration and a, not only an inspiration, but a friend, you know, and he was the kind of guy that I I do not tour in Europe as much anymore or ever. So for me, whenever I got to see him in the last like five, six years, he never felt or even longer than that. I only saw him a handful of times. Um, it never felt it felt like I was seeing like when I see you guys, it's like, oh, here's my friend. You know, 100%. We yeah, could, no matter yeah, what, we, it yeah. could be 20 years, 15, doesn't yep. matter. It's like, a, we're friends. Yeah. You, like we, we no bullshit. We, we could talk about anything. And, uh, yeah, it, it was very hard. It was for me with, that morning because he's definitely the first person, um, like that, that I, that I lose in my life. Like I've lost family members that I'm close to before, but someone that I consider like a friend that I could find any time and just talk about anything. Um, there, there's, you know, um, it, it's the first time that, that it happens, uh, to me. And it, it was a hard morning, even like I said, though, I've only seen him a handful of times in the last, like, you know, um, handful of years, like it still felt like, this is my friend. This is someone that I've always gonna, um, care about and that, that will be there for me if I ask him for something. So, um, yeah, it's, it's sad, but at the same time, I agree with you, please support his music. What he left behind is amazing. And, and I recommend that you pick anything at random and you'll find something interesting to and awesome to listen to. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years. 
by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.